They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is the GenSend Podcast with Shane Pruitt, Paul Wooster, and Lacey Via Sr. Hey friends, welcome to a brand new season of the Jensen Podcast. We are so grateful that you take this journey with us and y'all have been awesome of engaging with this conversation, also sharing the podcast with people. Uh, It's so fun, Lacey and Paul and I and others on our team, we get to be out and about and all the time hear from you and others who say how much they are enjoying this podcast. So thank you so much for engaging with us and please continue to share it uh, with people in your ministry and your churches and your friend uh, circles, all those good things. All right. So we're excited about this season. We got a lot of great topics that we're going to talk about, even some guests that are going to drop in with us. So we're just going to jump in and get started. Paul, Lacey, my friends, how's it going? Are y'all excited about this new season? Yeah, absolutely. And for our video watchers, if you don't already know, you can watch on YouTube as well as listen. And if you're watching, you'll see that Paul has a little scratch on his nose. So we've got to get the epic story behind this scratch. So uh, surfing at a pretty crazy spot called Off the Wall that's right next to the most famous surfing wave called Pipeline. And it was a small day, so don't get too impressed. But uh, I caught a wave and and uh, wiped out on it. And then the next wave that came, I wanted to dive under to kind of duck dive without my board. My board was dangling back. And I dove under and my face hit the reef. <laughs> so, oh, so it's really not as cool as it sounds, as, it, as you think. Like, okay. <laughs> but I walked out. With my board and like blood uh, draining down my face, like, you know, and, uh, you know, so we were hanging out with some friends and um, actually um, my my family, we were hanging out with Bethany Hamilton and her family. So that's kind of a cool part of the story. Yeah. But that's how I met Bethany Hamilton was my blood was running down <laughs> my face. <laughs> so, she's like she, amateur. She totally was like, she totally was like making fun of me the whole time. Yeah, she's like, like that's her. it. Just the notes. <laughs> Such a rookie, you know. So <laughs> but, that yeah, is so funny. awesome. Well, it has been an incredible fall. I know a lot of you who are listening got to be part of the youth leader coaching network and then most recently the collegiate coaching network. So I'd love to just share a little bit about those those events and just kind of some stories that came out of those and some wins from that. So I'd love to hear from you all about that. Yeah, with the Youth Leader Coaching Network, it's it's always so much fun. It literally, it's become one of my favorite things to be a part of and to lead. And every single time, you almost get the same testimonies every single time, but just from different people um, and different backgrounds. But you know, you always get those testimonies that are coming in with people going, "Hey, I, I was exhausted." I was burned out. Some are even like, hey, I had my, you know, resignation letter written. But after this, I feel so encouraged, so empowered and excited to go back into my mission field. And so you love hearing those testimonies. 
Also love hearing testimonies immediately going, hey, some of the things we learned at the Youth Leader Coaching Network or or we even learned ideas from like our peers because we put them in uh, peer-to-peer situations as well is to go, hey, I, I went back and implemented that and we, we've seen two teenagers get saved or we've seen mm-hmm. 20 or one or, or, hey, we've seen students surrender to a calling to ministry on their life. Just those testimonies is really just a shot of adrenaline to just keep doing it. So I love the Youth Leader Coaching Network. Um, if you've been a part of it, you know the value of it. So help us spread the word. If you've never been a part of it, I want to encourage you to go to youthleadercoachingnetwork.com and find out more and come join us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Paul, man, the Collegiate Coaching Network was incredible as well, man. Yeah. I, I think about kind of the intangible, like the way the Holy Spirit moved, even during the Youth Leader Coaching Network and the Collegiate Coaching Network, we would have these special times of worship and prayer. And uh, one lady, she felt like God was calling her to step out of, she had a part-time role of doing collegiate ministry to step in to being full-time, raise her support, whatever that means. And so we had different things like that. People were like sensing a renewal and almost, for lack of a better term, a revival in their mm-hmm. own lives. And then we had multiple guys and and ladies come to me and say, um, it was the best collegiate event they've ever been to so that was so encouraging uh maybe it was just they're trying to flatter me but no but um then we also i heard about a group um the axe two network they took some of the training that we were giving them and they just went insane with the amount of surveys they were doing the amount of gospel sharing and in a few weeks they saw over 150 people pray to receive christ during their outreach. and so yeah so it's just like you it's it's inspirational, but it's also super practical. We give you tools and resources. And I like how it's comprehensive, where it's a combo of Zoom calls and that caps it off with that in-person gathering. So we love it. It's probably our favorite thing that we get to do, right, Shane? Yeah, no doubt. Completely, man. I love it. Yeah. And today we're going to dive into one of the crowd favorite talks. And honestly, one of those talks that we hear you give Shane and people take it, apply it. And then, yeah, we hear people come back and they're like, this has totally changed our ministry. We've seen, you know, totally different responses. And that is how to give a gospel invitation with integrity, which I think is so important. And there's very little training on this part. You know, there's a lot of training in preaching and and writing a message, but this is one that has a little less out there resource wise. So I'd love to just start here. How do you guys prepare your invitations? Do you prepare them? What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's one of those, like you said, probably when it comes to the invitation, it's one of those things where let's just be honest. You know, I think there's some guys who uh, are leaders who don't do it because of maybe certain theological reasons, right? Um, There's others who don't do it because they've seen it done poorly. uh, Or they'd say, you know, when I've seen it done, it seemed very manipulative and I don't want to do that. You know, we're like, well, hey, you can still do it. Just don't manipulate. You know what I mean? Like, it's, (laughs) you know, just, you don't have to throw the whole thing out because you saw others manipulate. You do it well and don't manipulate, right? Um, and then I think, and then the third kind of camp is probably where most people fall. It's like, I just don't know what to do, you know, and you've, and we've all seen communicators uh, teach the the scriptures with faithfulness and boldness and confidence, but then get to an invitation part and you almost see their whole demeanors change. <laughs> it's like their face goes flush. They lose all their confidence and just kind yep. of start stumbling over themselves. Um, here's a cheat code for that, that somebody shared with me years ago. 
is, hey, just like you prepare your sermon, your message, your Bible study, uh, you know what your main points are, you know what your scripture is, you know where you're going, also prepare your invitation ahead of time, yeah. your main points, your scriptures, and know where you're going. Because I think what we've defaulted to in the past is preparing our messages really well and just winging the invitation. And we don't want to wing the invitation. So I want to say, hey, prepare ahead of time. Know what you're going to say. Yes, we want to be flexible. We want to be spirit led, but be prepared. Like just hopefully we would never jump on a stage and teach a, a message or preach a sermon and wing it and be completely unprepared. So let's not do the invitation like that. So yes, for me, um, I, I typically, unless somebody asks me to do it differently, do it the exact same way every time, say the same thing um, and uh, prepare it ahead of time. I know exactly what I'm going to say um, way before I ever get, you know, on the stage or on the platform. So that was something that was super helpful for me. What about you, Paul? Yeah. yeah I love how you address kind of the different objections that some people have or kind of the, the range of views on this. I mean, I'm going to go with Charles Spurgeon on this one. I mean, he gave gospel invitations. And so I think, I think it's that we're in good company with a lot of different preachers over the years that have given gospel invitations, but yeah, I script mine out even word for word, I think I, I have it written on my iPad there, exactly what I, I don't like read it off, but I know exactly what I'm going to say, or if I kind of need to look back and glance back. And so then it flows really well. If I know exactly where I'm going, I can stay in the pocket, so to speak. And I trust my preparation and trust the Holy Spirit to use the prep that I've I've given. And there are times where I will feel prompted to add something or kind of go with something out, something new. But in general, I'm going to try to really keep that part tight and, and really um, do that with excellence and make sure, because that's a sacred moment, really, when you're sharing the gospel clearly, making sure people, I think that's an important in a gospel invitation, re reiterate the gospel, even in that moment. Um, I think that's that's an important piece of the puzzle is make sure even if you shared it in the bulk of your message, that's a great time to clarify what the gospel is and what it may what it means to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Yeah, that's good. And I love that you mentioned, Shane, about the manipulation piece, because that's what I've heard a lot with younger people who left the church or walked away from their faith, is they go back and they question that moment that they responded to the gospel. And they criticize specifically, like, the the music, you know, the classic, like, piano underneath that kind of final point of the message or when you're giving the invitation or the lights. And, and they'll say, oh, I was just manipulated into responding. And so I would love to have a moment to just address this. Do you think it's wrong to use these tools to use music and lights to enhance an invitation or the end of this message? Yeah, you know, I think every leader, every church, every ministry, every context has to decide that for themselves, right? to go, hey, what what is best for our context? Uh, what's our conviction on this? Uh, I think that's one of those, you can't really have a clear across the board to go, hey, if you're using music, you're manipulating people. Or if you're, you know, bringing down the lights, you're manipulating people. If you got a, you know, a fog machine going on, <laughs> you're manipulating people. <laughs> you know, personally, I'm not a fan of those just because I'm getting old and those things like choke me out, you know? <laughs> and, I'm like, you know and I'm like, don't bring down the lights because I'm old. I can't see my Bible, you know? So it's really not convictional. I'm just old, you know, right? yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so, But, you know, I think, yeah, and I've heard a lot of that too, Lacey, of like going, okay, well, 
um, you know, like I, I was a Christian, but now I'm not. And I really became a Christian because they lowered the lights and it was kind of, I was emotionally drawn and all that. Theologically, here's where I land. Um, if, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in the New Testament, you are sealed to the day of redemption. All right. So that means if you're truly all in, truly in dealt with the Holy Spirit, there's no one doing that. So where I go back and go, hey, if you go, lights got me into the kingdom, fog machines got me into the kingdom. Therefore, I left the kingdom on my own. Will. I would just say you were never in, you know, and so I think that's where there is that old principle that I think we have to be aware of is whatever you win them with is what you got to keep them with. Right. So I just say, reach the gospel. And then clearly invite people to respond to the gospel. You know, now all the things around that, I think you have to like, you have to use your better judgment, your conviction. What does that mean for your context? But yeah, I, I would say like, if you go, well, I, you know, I became a Christian um, because I was emotionally into it. I would just say, yeah, you may made of some emotional decision, but I would submit you were never fully born again. You were never fully indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You're never fully in with the kingdom. So let's point you to the gospel that actually is what saves. And so when people would say that, I, I, I don't even argue the lights, the sound and all that. I'm just like, well, tell me your relationship with Jesus and what that looked like and your understanding mm -hmm. of the gospel. Cause I think everything goes back uh, to the gospel. And so that's what I would say about that. Paul, what do you say? I know you have a lot of those conversations as well, being around yeah. so many young adults and young people. Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime you preach the gospel, there's going to be people that make a decision, but maybe their hearts weren't really there or they didn't fully understand what was happening. And so we do take, need to take that with a grain of salt and not, not like not celebrate it. I celebrate decisions. I love mm -hmm. to do that. But at the same time, time will tell whether these are true conversions or not, whether God really um, saved these people or not. And uh, anytime you preach the gospel, I don't care who you That's are, right. you're going to see a mix of even the parable of the sower. There's a mix of different different soils um, that that is the reality. But as preachers of the gospel, whether there's, I think the lights or the music or that's very secondary to the message that we're proclaiming. And we need to make sure we are preaching repentance and faith. So we're putting our, tr to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ. And so that's to make Jesus Lord and Savior, Savior and Lord. And so that's right. there, we can't just preach him as just Savior. We want to also say he's Lord and call people to surrender to him in that capacity. And so I think that's important because I've been, we've been over the years, especially in collegiate ministry, there's a lot of people that maybe they prayed a prayer or something mm -hmm. in high school, but as we were discipling them, they never repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Lord and savior. And so over the years, we've been able to lead a lot of Christians to Christ, <laughs> actually people yeah. that, <laughs> that weren't really saved, but we helped them really, start following Jesus for the first time in reality. So that's something, a piece of the puzzle that um, kind of there's a lot there, but um, it is an important part of the conversation. Yeah, Paul, yeah. And, and I want to build on that a little bit because all over you're saying a timing would tell, you know, uh, in fact, where uh, I almost had a convictional shift about probably five to six years ago, uh, even in my own life, because I would, you know, I would be, all right, preaching at this event, um, and go, hey, 178 people got saved. Well, 
I don't really know that, right? Like time will tell. So I even shifted to go, hey, 178 people made professions of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Because in that moment, they are making a profession of faith of Jesus Christ, Lord, and Savior of their life. Now, time will tell if that was legit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? Like fruits of the Holy Spirit will tell of that. So I even sh shifted how I, I don't even go, hey, this many people got saved. I don't know that. Time yeah, will yeah. tell. But at least in that moment, there was a profession of faith in Jesus for salvation. So that's what I'll celebrate, those professions of faith. And right, I mean, uh, Lacey, uh, that can even happen in one-on-one -on -one conversations, right? I think we tend yeah. to default to like big events, right? Or these evangelistic events. But those same things can happen in a one-on-one -on -one conversation at the coffee shop, right? You can share the gospel with somebody, invite them to respond, and and they do in that moment. But that doesn't mean it was legit. Time will tell, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and, and we'll get into this a little bit later in this conversation, but I really do think, yeah, this is where follow-up is key and how you do follow-up and just making sure you have some kind of system in place because you're so right, Paul. It's, hey, where is there repentance here? Is Are they going to actually follow Jesus with their life after this moment? You know, time will really tell that. I know recently my, my husband got to share the gospel with a guy and he started coming to our church and then they've been meeting, just talking through the book of Luke. And he asked him, hey, do you want to get baptized? Explain baptism. And yeah, even this guy was like, I'm not sure yet. I just need to learn more. I need to understand my faith more. Like I do I do want what you're saying, and I do believe that Jesus is Lord, but I just need to understand more of what repentance looks like and what that means for my life. And so I do think follow-up is so key here. Shane, one of the first points you mentioned in this talk, you have seven points, and one of the first things you say is to keep it fueled by prayer. And I'd love to know practically what does this look like for you guys, especially uh, because y'all travel and preach to a lot of different crowds. So what do your prayer rhythms look like when preparing a message? And do you have prayer teams that you've built in so that they can be praying when you're giving these invitations that other guys may utilize? Yeah, Lacey, I love this because, uh, you know, you, uh, so we're kind of like pulling the lid back a little bit, letting people know that take this journey with us of like, you send us kind of ideas ahead of time and stuff, you know? Uh, and so as I was looking through your idea for this conversation, I saw the prayer team and I was like, no, I don't have that, but that's a really good idea. So I love that. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, you know, when you're writing the sermon, you're fueling that with prayer from the beginning. When you're writing the invitation, you're fueling that with prayer from the beginning. Hopefully before you ever go in front, even on that day, before you ever preach the word and invite people to respond to Jesus, uh, that's filled with prayer. Um, even praying, you know, uh, through the message or you're praying during the invitation. Um, and then there's even an aspect of prayer over those who have responded and praying for those leaders who are going to have those conversations because really that that kind of follow-up really begins in the moment in those conversations with those leaders, right? And so it's kind of like you're bookending the whole thing with prayer, and then hopefully you're praying for them as they continue to walk with Jesus. I always default to what my mentor used to say early on um, in my dis own discipleship process is he would always say, we should never talk to people about God 
until we talk to God about people. Like mm-hmm. everything starts with prayer. And I and I love that. And so a lot of times what I'll do, and I mean, uh, y'all, I know you've seen this, Lacey and Paul, and Paul, I've seen you do as well, is a lot of times I'll send out prayer requests on social media literally before going up there. Hey, about to share the gospel yeah. with a bunch of students or college students or young adults, teenagers, whatever, adults. Uh, would you please pray right now for this? You know, so a lot of that kind of prayer force is coming, you know, through social media and on prep. But I love an organized prayer team to go, hey, would you would you take this journey, be a prayer team, and I'll drop in uh prayer requests at the beginning and praise reports after I love that idea, Lacey. So I'm gonna I'm gonna utilize that in my own life. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I have a prayer team. So that's why Paul's that's why Paul's varsity and I'm JV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I started it when I was uh, doing local ministry in Chico, and uh, it was more geared around our ministry there. And I just kind of kept those people with me. It's simply a text message team. So I would, I would ask someone, "Hey, do you want to be on my text message prayer team?" And uh, they would say yes or no, and I would add them, and they would get. I would, I would not blow them up constantly. Maybe just like once a week, I would send out a text about a really important, specific thing to pray over. And then try to give them an update after the event or after whatever they were praying over the results. And uh, it's that simple. So I have about 70 people on that list that are have committed to pray whenever I send that text out. And they're just like, they're serious about it. And then I also have a newsletter um, of about 500 people that are more, um, when I was living on support, it was kind of, they were supporting our ministry. And it was kind of like that newsletter. And so I'll send out prayer requests for for to that about 500 people um there as well and then social media it's a great way to redeem social media and i think apostle paul is a great model of being shameless about requesting prayer you notice that in his letters even he's saying pray that i may proclaim the gospel boldly as i should you know even in the context of spiritual warfare in ephesians he's saying hey pray for me that god will give me boldness and so I think that's what we sh- we need to be doing, laboring in prayer personally, but thinking about how can we mobilize prayer. And I've actually noticed a difference when I've done the, sometimes I'll forget to do my like mobilizing prayer side. I'll be personally prayed up, but I don't do that. I've noticed almost, I've noticed a difference <laughs> when I, when I mobilize prayer and then when I don't. So um, there's something, prayer is real. Um, Ian Bounds even said, Prayer is kind of like drops in a bucket. So the more prayer you get, eventually that bucket will overflow. And uh, and so like that's we want to get as much prayer as possible for our ministries and our opportunities that we have. And so and then, of course, personally, I usually try to spend an extra hour or two on the day that I'm preaching, um, just praying, making sure my heart is right before the Lord. And that's kind of on top of my normal devotional time. Um and just because I, I want to be really de- dependent on the Lord um, in Chico, there wasn't a, I had young kids and all sort of stuff. So I would go sit in my car <laughs> at, right next to the campus. I didn't have an office or anything. So my car <laughs> became like holy ground where I would spend like an hour or sometimes two hours praying for the, the message I was giving that night and just making sure everything in my heart was right and and ready to move forward. So it's yeah. kind of a do whatever it takes to get that time yeah. with the Lord. 
So, and Paul, and I love the whole aspect of prayer and Lacey that you're, you brought this up is because, I mean, let's just be honest again. I think another thing we hear people do is make fun of praying a prayer, right. Or whatever they call it, you know, that, that, you know, salvation prayer or praying a prayer. And, you know, and I believe in the sovereignty of God, believe God awakens us to repent and believe and all those things. Um, and then why would we make fun of quote unquote, a sinner's prayer or praying a prayer? Like if they're repenting and believing and placing their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and savior of your life, wouldn't the first thing you want them to do is pray. You know what I mean? And so like, <laughs> I don't know why we would downgrade that or make fun of that or belittle that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. And you have to learn how to pray. If somebody's responding for the first time, they don't know yeah. how to pray yet. So of course, right. the, you know, pre-written prayers were used in scriptures it's used in the early church. Yeah, it's yeah, something that I think point. is dismissed because we've lost the, we've leaned so far the other way of, oh, just talk to God and it's not a big deal. It should be in your own words. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But there's also use for for guided prayer and pre-written prayer. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah. that's really good. And I know we've learned that there, if you're a church-based ministry, there are probably what we call our senior saints who our prayer warriors and who have yeah, created yeah. lives of prayer and they want to pray for your ministry. They want to pray for students. So invite them on nights you're doing a, a gospel invitation or just weekly to come and, and pray over the room that you guys are meeting in or just pray for you, pray for your leaders. And I'm telling you, there, there's a crew that would be eager to do that for you guys. Yeah, um, this next point is one that seems kind of obvious, but I think it can be easy to miss. And it's, you say, keep it biblical. Every scripture expects to be preached in light of the gospel. And so can you expand on that a little bit? Do you think pastors who preach every week should be giving an invitation every time? What do you kind of mean by this point here? Keep it biblical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, mainly is like, we want to preach the gospel, you know, every Every week, every time we open the Bible, I think we share the gospel because the gospel is the so what of everything, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we believe one of our core values, obviously, is, and especially us three, we care about this, is what we would call text-driven messages, meaning let the scriptures dictate the topic of the message, let the scriptures dictate the direction of the message. But the so what of every scripture is the gospel, right? So right. if you're, say you're working through a book of the Bible and uh, the the scriptures on generosity, and that's what's dictating, like, what's the point of generosity? What's the so what? It's because we're called to worship the most generous one there is. God who loved us so much, who gave his only son. Like you talk about generosity, he's the picture of generosity. So I think the so what of every scripture is the gospel. And then my core value is if the gospel is being proclaimed, then we're respond, we're inviting people to respond to the gospel. Now, that doesn't even mean it has to be a come forward response, mm-hmm. uh, a go back, fill out this card. But I'm talking about a response to believe and a response to obey. And so, like, you know, I think that's another thing to remind ourselves, too, is when we're talking about gospel invitations, we're not just talking about the spiritually lost in the room. We're also talking about the spiritually found to go, hey, if you believe what's just been proclaimed, then you need to go live that out. You need to go share that with someone. And so an invitation is not just for those to repent and believe and make professions of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord Savior, but it's also for the believers in the room to maybe repent of junk in their life that's tripping them up as they follow Jesus or is robbing their joy, or uh, to go share that message with the world or go to live on mission. And so I think there's a response, really an invitation for everyone uh, in the room. And then trust the Lord with how people uh, respond. I think Acts 17 is a great model. If you remember when Paul 
uh, is at Mars Hill, right? And he sees all those statues, and there's even one to the unknown God. He points that out. He preaches the gospel. Well, at the end of that, it says, some believed. Mm -hmm. uh, some said, we'll hear about this again. Let's continue to have a conversation. And then some rejected. So I think those are usually the three responses in every room. Some are going to believe. Some want to continue a dialogue, and that's okay. And then some reject. Um, and then I would say the other core value is this. If you are going to give an invitation, make sure the gospel is proclaimed right. um, because we've all been in situations where a invitation's given or maybe even an altar call come forward, but the gospel was never articulated. And let me be clear what I'm saying. Gospel creation, sin, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, his eventual return, repentance of belief. And so if we're inviting people to respond and the gospel is never proclaimed, then what are we inviting them to respond to? I think that's where we default to get in trouble like we talked about before. Are they responding to our jokes? Are they <laughs> responding to our visual illustrations? Are they responding to the lights and the and the smoke and, you know, all those things? Are they responding to the gross-out games that were played at the beginning? Like, what are they responding to <laughs> if the gospel is never proclaimed? So that's right. If you're going to give a gospel invitation, make sure the gospel is proclaimed. Yeah, mm, That's good. And I would even distinguish preaching from Bible study. So yeah. sometimes we approach a preaching moment just as if it's another Bible study. And uh, I mean, work, I huh? think if we have an opportunity to, to be in a setting where we're getting in front of people that desperately need the gospel, I love the Richard Baxter quote, I preach like a dying man to dying men. I mean, there's an urgency to what we're doing. There's no such thing as just another sermon. If you're if you're talking to souls, eternal souls, there's no such thing as just another message that I'm giving to the youth. Like this is life or death. And so the gospel is is the power of God for salvation. And so I mean, maybe that's just the evangelist in me, but it's like, yo, if these if there's it. people yeah. in there that need Christ, like let's give it to them. Let's let's full send it. And uh, there's other settings that are more discipleship focused and smaller groups and things that you can you maybe just dig into a, a text and you're not doing doing that every time. But, man, if you have an opportunity and there's lost people in the room, like it's almost like an obligation, like Apostle Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And that so, is, yeah, that's that's our heart really behind it. Yeah, Paul, and I love this. This should encourage especially our audience that's mainly collegiate leaders and youth leaders is when you said there's no just another sermon, it's a good reminder, there's no off weekends. You know, so we call them youth pastor Sundays or college pastor Sundays, meaning like July 4th weekend, Labor Day, <laughs> Memorial Day weekend, the Sunday after, between Christmas and New Year's, uh, the Sunday after Easter. You know, when youth pastors get to preach and college right. pastors get to preach, hey, that's just not another Sunday. It's not just another sermon. There are people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, so. Yeah, that's so good. And, and distinguishing between preaching and a Bible study is so good because yeah. I think it's easy, especially when you're meeting weekly, to kind of forget that, like like Shane said. Um, your next point is to keep it short, which for preachers is a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and so why is it important to keep an invitation concise? And how long would you recommend people keep their invitation? Is there a perfect time there? Yeah, I think we just remember that it's spiritual warfare. Uh, there's a very real enemy, you know, and, and I always joke, but it's true. Our enemy is not the guy who stole our girlfriend in middle school. You know, our enemy is not our rival school. Our enemy is Satan. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, and I think in those moments, 
where you're calling people to respond. Um, I think the enemy's going to do anything he can to distract in that moment. So I think the longer we kind of draw it out, it's more opportunity for the enemy to cause distractions. And also, um, when we tend to ramble, um, it causes confusion. And we don't want people to respond in confusion because God's not a God of confusion. And so, again, uh, the cheat code of not rambling um, is to be prepared because uh, usually when we ramble is when we're not prepared. When we're just <laughs> winging it, that's when we ramble. And when we ramble, we cause confusion and we don't want people to respond in confusion. So I think it goes back to our prep time, our prayer time. Know ahead of time what you're going to say. Be direct. Be concise. Uh, make it clear. Um, and just don't ramble on and on. My old pastor used to joke, he goes, you know what it means when a preacher says he's almost done? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean anything, right? So, like In closing, we'll say in closing 15 times, you know? Uh, and, and, and let's be honest, sometimes we're, I, I think even in Bible college or seminary, a lot of times in preaching classes, we're taught how to start, have a hook, draw people in, meet, but we're not always taught how to land the plane. And mm-hmm. I think we would be... Uh, more effective communicators if we learn how to land the plane um, and do it well. Yeah. And I would say on the other side of it, I've, when I was kind of learning to do invitations, there was times I felt like because I was nervous or because I, I was a little uncomfortable about giving the invitation, I would kind of rush it. And, and that wasn't helpful either. So I have to kind of make sure that you're, you're staying calm and you're almost, I, I sometimes even slow my pace when I'm getting to the invitation, I don't go, I'm not long winded, but I'm making sure I'm being very like precise and very careful about what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, so that there is almost like a gravity, a gravitas or whatever, whatever to what you're saying when you slow down and you you're calm. And sometimes there's a, there, there's so, that's just something to think about there. Yeah, this is kind of the next few points are kind of in the same vein. And you've already mentioned one, Paul, but this next one is to keep it understandable and to just be clear in what you're asking them to do. And I think this is where preparation can be so helpful, especially even writing it out, like you mentioned, Paul. So do you all have any do's and don'ts for keeping this invitation understandable or is preparation really the key here? Yeah, I think kind of a a really a, a ministry hack in this is, um, you know, like Paul talked about so well while ago about preparing. He knows exactly what he's going to say, manuscripted out. You know, we all kind of talked about that multiple times is also plan out what you're asking them to do ahead of time. Um, you know, and so a lot of times what Paul and I do uh, in a sense is like itinerant ministry, right? We're, we're the guest speaker 99% of the time. You know, we, we both preach at our own home churches. We do that. But a lot of times what we're doing, we're the guest. And so I always ask ahead of time. I want to know ahead of time, sometimes even when they're saying, hey, would you come? We put it on the calendar, go, all right, let's talk about, you know, the event, whatever. I even asked them, like, how do you want to do the invitation? How, right. what are you wanting us to ask them to do? Like, we want to know ahead of time. It, is it a come forward? Is it a go to the back? Is it to go talk to your small group leader? Is it a raise the hand? Is it to text, a text response people do? Whatever it is, just do something and make sure we're very clear in what we're asking them to do. Because, um, you know, Lacey, you mentioned it. Paul, you mentioned the importance of follow-up and discipleship. I think if we don't do follow-up well, that's very irresponsible in us. And really us getting that information or having that first conversation with those who are responding is the beginning of that follow-up process. So we just, when I say make it understandable, go, let's be very clear 
upfront what those next steps are so we can communicate that well. Because nothing stops response more than confusion and not knowing what to do, right? So if you go, hey, go do this, and we're very vague and not very clear and direct, they're not going to respond because the last thing a teenager or a college student wants to do is wander around a room aimlessly mm-hmm. trying to figure out what to do. Right. So yes. <laughs> I think we just got to be very clear on that. Paul, what about, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I have, that brings to mind a, an example of a time that I didn't do the best job making it clear what the next step was. So I preached the gospel. I gave an invitation, people accepted Christ, but then in the next steps, I was a little fuzzy on exactly communicating how to because there was a we kind of made a little tactical error we had about 50 leaders get up and all slowly walk to the back and there was this big wall of leaders on the back and the students were kind of intimidated by that like whoa this is a lot of leaders and uh and so I I kind of told them to go back and my timing was a little off and so it was kind of embarrassing, <laughs> but but at the same time, we still had like 16 people come to Christ. We found out after the event or whatever. So it wasn't like a failure, but it's better to avoid those awkward moments if possible. And so we wanted to make it as easy and as smooth as possible, even in those transitional moments, which is a lot of times new for newer preachers is like those transitions, how to give those invitations. And so don't assume it's going to go smoothly, like even like think it through, talk to the other leaders, make sure everyone's on the same page. The people doing the counseling, the band, the people running the, the, the media, like make sure everyone knows what this next step is going to be so that there's no wires crossed and awkwardness. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I you mentioned this Paul earlier and it's the next point Shane mentions it. He says fast talk is fluent in the language of confusion, which I love. And your point here is to keep it slow. And I know you mentioned this Paul that sometimes you'll slow yourself down. And I think especially yeah, for newer preachers, this you know, you get nervous and you just naturally start talking fast. And so, what are some helpful ways preachers can practice slowing down their invitation? Yeah, this sounds so simple or so basic, Lacey, but it was a huge game changer for me several years ago. It's like if you are going to lead in a prayer and invite people to pray with you um, is to way to slow that down is make it short statements and then repeat the statement quietly in your head before Mm -hmm. you move on to the next. It forces you to slow way down because this is what I used to do. And I think we can all be guilty of this. We've all done it before, but I'd be like, hey, um, man, maybe you feel like God is calling you and awakening you to repent, believe, and to start a relationship with him and to follow him. And if that's you, then pray with me. Uh, just just pray this. It's so, just pray this with me. God, I admit I'm a sinner. Uh, I repent of my sin. Come live inside of me. Forgive me of sin. Change me from the inside out. Uh, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to worship you. Thank you for saving me. Who prayed that with me? No one, right? That was insane. That was like a fire hydrant, right? Yeah. On Red Bull right there. Yeah. So, um, so like, yeah, slow down, repeat to yourself. So literally now I just go, you know, like, God, I admit I'm a sinner in my head. God, I admit I'm a sinner. Um, but today I believe in you. Today I believe in you. I repent of my sin. I repent of my sin. And you know, and so on like that. It causes you to slow down. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge uh shift. Cause again, 
uh, I think our goal is always the glory of the Lord and clarity, because God is not a God of confusion. Um, and yes, God can work in spite of us. Listen, God can speak through a donkey, so we all have hope. Amen. <laughs> but if there's anything we can do on our end um, to not cause confusion, or if we're doing things that are confusing, if we can stop that, I think that only helps. And so, um, yeah, slowing that way down was a big game changer for me because we want it clear. The last thing we want people to do is to respond and not even know why they respond. You know, they, when they go, hey, why did you come up here? I have no clue. You know, like <laughs> we want them to at least, and, and they may not be able to articulate it and they may not be able to, you know, they may not be able to be a Spurgeon from day one, but mm. at least they go, hey, all I know is I want Jesus. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was blind, but now I can see John, right? You know, like if that's a, that's a win, like, so we just don't want to cause confusion. So I just say in that moment, especially when you're praying with people, just slow way down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got nothing to add to that. That's good. Have you ever uh, recorded yourself and then gone back and painfully listened, re-listened to yourselves? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, I didn't record myself, but it was yeah. it's been on video or whatever. And yeah, I yeah, that, that kind of recording for sure. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's not my favorite yeah. to watch myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it almost yeah. would be a problem if you did really enjoy watching yourself. That might be a little bit more uh, problematic. <laughs> it's in those moments where I'm like, God, thank you so much for grace. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, hopefully i get to preach again one day because that was awful hopefully nobody else watches this yeah 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 but uh, what's funny okay. i think that's a good reminder Lacey. i love that you threw that out there and i know this is a little bit off topic but still kind of in that same way what you're talking about i think that's a good reminder that it's really about the power of the holy spirit it's about the power of the word of god and not our power because i'll be honest like and i think every communicator can say that there has been times where you walk off the stage and you go, that's exactly how I wanted to go. That felt great. Like, oh man, that was, you know, yes, you know, that went exactly how I wanted to go. And no one say anything. Right? They like avoid eye contact with you out of the room, you know. But then there's other times where you walk off and you go, that was awful. I felt like I've stumbled all over myself. That is not at all what I prayed for, prepared for, whatever. And then people be like with tears going, man, God impacted me or God spoke to me in this way, or that's exactly what I needed. Or God, man, I got saved tonight and stuff like that. Like it just, those are good humbling reminders that ultimately it's up to the power of the Lord and not our gifts and talents anyway, you know? Ooh, that's fire. Yeah, mm, so that's good. good. That's a word. That's just a little bonus wisdom for you guys. <laughs> um, your sixth point is to keep it moving to the next step. And we kind of talked about, okay, make sure you have a clear next step here. So how, what are some responses that you've seen work really well? I know, Paul, like you mentioned having 50 leaders in the back was one that was a little intimidating. What do you recommend um, for people when they're preparing the team that's going to be counseling students? That's good. Paul, yeah. What about you, man? What do you what do you do? Yeah, one really easy way to make it like a consistent thing for a local ministry is to create communication cards. So every week at our ministry in Chico at Challenge, we had communication cards and we had them fill out name, email, phone number. And then there was a box to check about accepting Christ or joining a group. Or even we always had a blank that said, what's your top takeaway from the message? And then also prayer requests. So every week after the message, we would have someone come up, usually the director would come up and explain the cards and have people fill it out right there on the spot. 
and we'd pass buckets. We did, we said this is not an offering. <laughs> just put your cards in because we were we were just a college ministry, so we weren't trying to take an offering. But they would just put their cards in there, and then that night we would we would have this stack of cards, and we'd be able to go through those cards and see, hey, wow, we had five people check that accepting Christ box. Let's text them, set up a gospel appointment, and uh, and then we'd also get to see what other things stood out to the people that were regulars and prayer requests or any new people, even if they didn't accept Christ, they were new. We could still text them and say, Hey, I'm so glad you attended the event. Um, you're, you're there tonight. Let's set up a time to hang out and talk about how you can get plugged into the ministry. And so we could follow up and we just have everyone do that every week. And so we'd get like probably 80% of the people in the crowd filling out that card and that was like a gold mine of follow-up potential every week. So that's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, I'd say it like this. I'm a fan of all models of invitations. I'm a favorite of having them stand immediately and go to somebody, you know, whether it's come forward or go to the back, but I'm a fan of all. So whether, yeah, like I love what Paul said, cards, you know, whether it's texting, go to a, a room afterward where people will be waiting to have conversations with people come forward, back, sides, uh, whatever. Um, I'm a fan of all of it. Uh, if someone goes, Shane, um, do the invitation however you want. I'm always a fan of that. Hey, let's let's stand, come, immediately talk to somebody. You know, don't give an enemy, the enemy a chance of robbing, you know, robbing something on the way home or later or all that. Like, let's, let's do it immediately. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and then in that invitation, just remember, like, that's what, you know, uh, when Peter and Paul were saying, repent, believe that was an invitation when Jesus is saying, come and follow me, that's an invitation. So it's okay to do that biblically mm -hmm. in the moment, whatever that looks like. I'm a fan of all my favorite is, a is a really a physical response where you're talking to somebody in that moment. But I want to say, whatever your model is, I think a couple of things to keep in mind, I think, especially sometimes in student spaces or college spaces, I think probably our default a lot of times is, hey, if you feel like God did something in your life tonight and you want to trust Christ as Lord and Savior of your life or you need to repent of something or, you know, surrender a call ministry, make sure you talk to a leader before you leave. Um, I think that's what most default to. But let's think about that for a moment. Let's think of the first time guest. First of all, they have no clue who the leaders are. So they're not even going to know who to go talk to, all right? And second right, of all, right. um, you're asking them who is a guest to now, like, in a sense, for them to go be the missionary, for them to go make a move, for them to go chase somebody down, for them to go find somebody to talk to. So I'm just say, if that is your default, make sure you're putting the pictures of the leaders on the screen or you're making a very clear space where the leaders will be so you can easily find them and those kind of things. I think that's something to think through. I think the other one too is like when you um, are doing invitations, whether you have in leaders, stand up front, uh, go to the back, like Paul said, or if there's like a, a room that leaders will be waiting for, let's make sure, you know, the leaders, we just coach them up to go, hey, the main thing we're looking for right now is getting their information and answering questions um, so that we can have good, intentional, sit down, focused 
conversations later. Um, the, the last thing we want to do is preach another sermon to them, um, because I think that's another thing you see a lot of times is, right, an invitation's given, and then you'll see a leader sitting with like five students, and the students who just responded aren't saying anything, and that leader is basically <laughs> preaching another sermon to them, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. heard a sermon, right? They don't need another 20-minute sermon from you right. during that decision time. So just, hey, we're looking for, we want to answer questions, any questions they have, we want to make sure they understand what they're responding to um, and then get their information for, you know, better follow-up later. Yeah. If you've ever seen uh, Shane give an invitation, I'm always shocked. I'm like, oh, wow. He's already asking them to stand because it's so fast after the prayer. He's just like, all right, stand up, stand up. You know, some people <laughs> have them raise their hand and then look up and then stand up. And Shane's just like, no, just stand up. And, and I'm always like, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, but people, people respond. And I think it is because you give them, give their, there's so little time for the devil to creep in and plant lies of either insecurity or doubt or embarrassment or anything like that. Yeah. You're just like, Hey, you prayed this, like stand up and be, be proud about that. Lacey, and sometimes what I do, and I actually kind of got this from some statements Paul said, because what Paul has said about teenagers and college students of this generation is like, they're, they want to be called to boldness. It like, mm -hmm. like Paul has said, it's almost like you can't preach hard enough for them. So now every once in a while I'll shift and, and I don't say heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm like, heads up, eyes open. This is a call to boldness. <laughs> so in a sense, like if you can't like, follow Jesus in this moment where everybody's going to be cheering for you and celebrating you, you're really going to struggle outside these walls in the world, you know? And so like, sometimes it's a call to boldness. Like, Hey, this is a call to boldness. Like Jesus died boldly and publicly for us. It's time for us to live boldly and publicly for him. So not even a heads bowed, eyes closed invitation. It's a heads up, <laughs> eyes open. This is what we're in. Confess and let's go, you know? Yeah. yeah I love awesome. it. Well, you've kind of already mentioned this, but your last point is to keep follow-up a priority. And you mentioned that this is kind of a stewardship issue. And I know this can be a big pain point for ministries, but it is so critical. So do you, either of y'all, and I've kind of alluded to them, have a recommended follow-up plan for people to do if they respond or what would the ideal follow-up plan look like for a ministry? Yeah, Paul, what did y'all yeah. do? And what do you do, man? Yeah. Yeah. It's way easier. I think it's way easier to follow up college students than youth because there's less um, barriers to like getting a one on one time. But in college ministry, it's so easy because we just make it we have our our student leaders or staff and immediately any new person, whether they make a decision or not, we're going to set up an appointment with them. We call it a gospel appointment. And uh, we're going to try to get a meeting with those people that week and sit down with them, hear their story, share our story, share the gospel again, whether even if they accepted the Christ, accepted Christ at the Tuesday night meeting, we're still sharing the gospel again and explaining what discipleship is and basically starting to personally disciple them one-on-one -on -one, um, as they get involved in our ministry. So that's like, we want to shoot for 100% of every visitor, every new student that attends our ministry is going to get a one-on-one -on -one follow up from a leader. And so that's a high bar, but we've just seen God really use that personal is the most powerful when you when you're re relating to college students. So in college ministry that's like to me that's a no-brainer. That's it's so simple because a college campus is a recruitment culture. So every other club 
like the fraternities are meeting with you to make sure you're cool enough to join the fraternity, you know, you know, and stuff like that. So it's, I think it's just so natural just to get that one-on-one time. But in youth ministry, you, it may be a little bit, um, there's some, some things to navigate there. What are your, what are your thoughts on that, Shane? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the the key is, is we want to do something right. Lacey, you alluded to it being a stewardship issue. It really is like, I mean, think about that. You've done the hard work to get spiritually lost people to something. The gospel has been faithfully proclaimed. Invitation has been given. People respond. And then if they never hear from us again, um, man, that's on us. That's a stewardship issue, right? And so it's like, we got to do something to gather that information. So what I've seen, I love is, you know, I, I know uh, ministries who all of their leaders have, you know, the same Wufu form on their own cell phone. So as they're talking to a student, they're putting their names in, hitting submit, it's going to the leader or whoever that's gathering all of that. I love the typing aspect of it. So you can actually read it. If you are doing handwritten, you know, decision cards for a lack of a better term that you're going to follow up later, uh, just make sure you get some leaders that can actually write legibly, you know, because some <laughs> yeah. of those things, you know, they look like a doctor wrote it, right? You're right. like, uh, this cell phone number, it doesn't even look like numbers. It looks like a cat, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, so then that decision card for like better term is useless because you can't follow up. You don't have any of it. So I just like, just get it, get it clear again. So that good follow-up can take place, have a good follow-up plan. Um, and you know, um, part of that kind of follow-up plan is we have a great tool that we've created at NAM mm-hmm. and within Jensen called Life Essentials, a digital new beginner's guide for believers. Um, and so if you have students and college students and young adults that respond to the gospel, hey, just have them pull out their phone immediately, text life to 888-123. That's life to 888-123. Push send immediately. They'll get a message back from us says, hey, welcome to the family of God. There's a link they can click. And right there is six short videos done by Paul and I that is kind of immediate kind of next steps. You know, a video over uh, the importance of church, importance of prayer, importance of scripture reading, overcoming temptation, the role of the Holy Spirit, and then how to share your testimony and the gospel with your lost friends. So if you're looking even for a new resource, when an invitation has been given for those who have just made a decision to follow Jesus, that's a great resource. Just text LIFE to 888-123. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. And we'll put that in the show notes as well if you missed that. Um, But I would love to just end here by each, you know, there are preachers who maybe are listening to this and they haven't seen many or any students respond to the gospel invitation Mm -hmm. in a really long time. So I'd love to end with each of you just encouraging that kind of preacher or pastor right now. Yeah, yeah. A couple of things. Just remember, first of all, it's up to the Lord. It's not up to you. So take the pressure off. In fact, I know, honestly, Lacey, one of the biggest reasons why um, communicators don't like giving invitation is they'll say, what if no one responds? Mm. And it's like we're scared of that awkwardness. I'm just say, embrace the awkwardness. It's not up to you anyway. It's up to the Lord. And it doesn't have to be awkward to go, hey, listen, at the end of the day, it's an invitation for everybody. So no one responded. So we're trusting maybe some are still kind of wrestling with this. They want to have that ongoing conversation. Or we're trusting everybody in the room already knows Jesus. So go tell this message to the world that you just heard. Right. So there's still an invitation to respond for everybody. But re- embrace the awkwardness. I mean this to the bottom of my heart. I would rather no one respond and it be awkward than manipulate a bunch of people to come forward and it not be legit. You know what I mean? So like, just be faithful, trust the Lord with the results. 
uh, obedience is the success in this, not the results. Results are up to the Lord. And then, you know, others will go, well, hey, you know, like, and I'm not an evangelist. So, you know, I, you know, I preach people, you know, don't, I'm not an evangelist. Hey, listen, don't worry about any of that. Trust the Lord. And I love what George Whitfield said. George Whitfield said this, others may preach the gospel better than I, but no one can preach a better gospel. There's just one gospel and others may articulate it better than you, but no one else has a better gospel than you. There's one gospel and know this, the same gospel that has been saving people for 2000 years still saves people today. So stick to it, share it and trust the Lord with the rest of it. So good. Yeah. I mean, that's my thought on the same lines. I think it's one of the, one of the things the enemy does is try to get us into fear and self-doubt and self-consciousness and really stop this moment where we're we're giving people a chance to respond to Christ and and really because our identity our even expectation if you're doing a, an event where the the people bring you in they're expecting people to you know we're like I've even had people bring me in they're like hey we're looking forward to you leading a lot of people to Christ and I'm like oh man that's a little bit of pressure you know but but at the same time it's like man, we're trusting the Lord to do his, if we do our part, the Lord does his part. And that doesn't always mean that we're going to have X amount of people raise our hands. Let's focus on faithfulness and let God take care of the fruit. Okay. So, but part of faithfulness is courage, is taking a risk and being willing to send it, so to speak. And to, even if no one else responds, to be willing to um, take that risk. And First Corinthians 2, Apostle Paul, he said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with excellence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you about God, for I decided to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came with, to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on but on God's power. And so man, I encourage you to memorize that passage. Like I did, I, I memorized it so that I can encourage myself. I might just quote that to myself as I get ready to get up and preach and realize like, hey, this is not on me. This is God's work. And it, when it's done God's way, um, he's going to use it, whether or not we see external results or not. So trust that he's going to do his part in that moment. Yeah. Amen, man. That is a, an encouraging note to end on. And we just pray that this episode has been helpful to you. Again, we'll put some resources in the show notes and make sure you're subscribing so you can see these future episodes. Um, we are praying for you guys. We'll see you next time and continue to go reach and mobilize this next generation. 